0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode thirteen of Popper's Cage broadcast. Here we have on the line dime collector. Hey, dime. Hey, everybody. We've got a really good show for you today. I hope you guys enjoy. And we have LoVe with us. Hey, LoVe. Hey, everybody. And we have uh, a special guest uh, that I'm very proud to present. This is Alex Ullman from Star City Games. Hey, Alex. How are you doing?
1: Doing well. How are you
0: guys? Pretty good. Thank you. We're excited that you're on this show. And um, I'm going to ask you some questions about yourself in a minute. But uh, first, we have an announcement to make, uh, a very sad announcement. And that is that Lov, uh will be leaving the podcast. So, Love, do you want to talk about uh, what's going on?
2: Uh, thing is, I have started um, university and I've got into a um, game developer programming course. That's three years. And most of everyone there has a lot of previous experience. And for me to be able to catch up and compete with these people when we're done in three years, I need to be programming a lot. So I'm spending like eight to ten hours a day on top of normal schoolwork programming. So I don't have the time for anything except that anymore. So I'm quitting pretty much all gaming, including Magic and the podcast,
0: unfortunately. Well, that that sounds like exciting news, but it's, it's sad that you're uh, going to be leaving us. So we wish you lots of luck and uh, and you know hopefully you'll you'll finish very successfully. Yeah,
2: I hope so. Too. I've had a lot of fun with the podcast and it's made me. It has been. It has, I think it has made me a better person than I was previously.
0: So, well, thank you very much for participating. Yeah, thank you.
1: Yeah, man, we we're really gonna miss you for sure. And I just got to say that I think you're a really cool guy. I'm glad that you were on the show and stuff. And I'm glad I finally made a friend from way over in Europe. Your news sounds really cool, so best of luck with that, man. Keep us posted. Yeah,
0: Yeah. thanks. I will. Maybe you could uh, work at, uh, you know, a famous company like BioWare or something like that.
2: Yeah, that'd be a big dream. I hope. (laughs) We'll see. It's like a lot of years in the future.
0: All right. Okay, well, um,
2: take care. Yeah, I will. Thanks, and see ya. Oh, I just want to thank Alex for joining us for the episode. I'm leaving now, but it' great fun to have you here i wish i could stay but i'm too busy oh
3: well good luck with your program
2: thanks i'll talk to you guys later see ya. okay all right see
0: ya so let's talk about you alex uh can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started with magic and and uh, what you're what you're doing regarding magic these days
3: Absolutely. Uh, I started playing Magic a long time ago. Uh, I started when I was in elementary school in uh, Brooklyn, New York. And so I was 10 years old when I first saw Magic cards. And I'm 28 now. So that gives you a little hint about how long I've been playing Magic. For a very long time, I was your prototypical kitchen pl- table player with, you know, the big stack decks, one of every card, who knows what kind of format. And then one day, I found out about a game store in New York called Neutral Ground uh, that used that at the time was owned by Brian David Marshall. Oh. And so I started going there and realized that I had no idea what Type 2 was. I had no idea what sealed deck was, but I wanted to spend as much time and as much of my allowance there as possible. Um, so I started going to tournaments and had no idea what I was doing. I would play in events. I would play in pro tour qualifiers but I had no intention of qualifying for the pro tour as evidenced by me playing suicide black with hatred in event after event, even when it was a bad choice, just because I had all the cards, but I just went to play magic. And it wasn't until I went to college that I realized how much time I wasted just playing magic instead of actually trying to win. No. But I built up a great network of, you know, knowing a lot of old-school New York players like Brian David Marshall, um, some other players from the area like Toby Wachter um, and Zev Gerwitz, who I knew from tournaments who would go on to some success. Um, but when I went to college, it's also when Magic Online first came out. So I was able to continue my fix, and I started becoming competitive. Um, at that time, Magic Online still had leagues. So I would invest in about a league every month or so to play on a budget. Because so I had a job, but I was also using it for my social life. Um and then one day in my junior year of college, my third year, I remembered reading about uh an online casual format, which was All Commons Magic. Um so I did a quick Google search and I found the article about this player run format called Pauper. Um or back then it was called Pauper Deck Challenger, PDC. And I found the room and I got involved. And I remember my first tournament uh, for Pauper, I had just done Relay for Life. uh, I worked as an event production assistant during college. So I had been up for 24 hours or so straight before coming back to my room and sleeping for like another four hours until 8 o'clock in the evening. And I joined the player run event one. And ever since then, I've been pretty consistently playing pauper. And that was seven years ago, six and a half years ago. Um, fast forward past college into grad school, I start writing for puremtgo.com uh, pauper articles. Uh, again, it was still only a player run format at the time. And it had grown from one event a week to five events a week with an extended format and a standard format in addition to the classic formats. Um, and I continued to write throughout grad school. Um, when I got my first job, I continued to work on Online Pauper, but I also found a local game store where I got back into Paper Magic and started drafting quite a bit Um And ran into some really good friends, got a draft group started up there with the help of Seth Byrne, another old-time New York pro who will blame me for getting him back into magic now after being away for seven years. Um, And it was also around this time that I continued to write for Pure, and I got recognized for that and got selected to the first uh, Community Challenge Cup, which was an absolutely phenomenal experience. Um, and this was made after the announcement of Sanctioned popper, and it was a huge, huge moment for the community where, you know, for years and years and years, we had been a group of players, and Wizards took notice. They saw that we were getting, you know, 25, 30 players for these events where the prize was a play set of exclude and a $5 gift certificate to online stores. And so they officially sanctioned the format, and I was named the pauper community liaison, which in a testament to how good a job Wizards is doing with the format, I've only had to use that role a few times. Um, once was when people were talking about Crypt Rats being too powerful, and I wrote a long article about how I disagreed. And then recent, more recently was when Familiar Storm or Frantic Search Storm became a really popular deck, and I wrote into them talking about how it was warping the format. Um, And they took action on that as well. Um, And I guess around the release of New Phyrexia, I had stopped writing regularly for Pure. I was focusing on my job. But I got a contact, I got an email from Steve Satan, another New York pro who, by virtue of living in New York, I was able to communicate with, who at the time was the editor-in-chief of Star City Games, and asked me to start writing Pauper reviews and do a regular Pauper column for Star City Games. And so that was just over a year and a half ago. I've been writing for Star City Games ever since. Um, I don't get to play nearly as much Pauper as I like to, but I still play a lot and I follow most of the articles. Um, I play a lot of tournament practice, but now I've also found another local game store. I, I'm back in Brooklyn for my job, and I go to my local game store a lot, uh, 20 sided store in, uh, Williamsburg, New York, uh, draft a lot, lose at draft a lot and play a lot of EDH. Um, they actually recently held a standard popper tournament and I was very upset that I couldn't attend. Uh, I had other obligations that day. Um, and my, uh, my only other real contribution to the community right now is I work at a college in Brooklyn and I am the advisor for the Magic the Gathering Club there and we're trying to get a, Whole group of us together to go to GP Philadelphia at the end of October.
0: Well, that was a pretty fascinating tale uh, you just told us there, and you've you've really mingled with uh, quite a few celebrities. It sounds like
3: I've been very very lucky. Uh, growing up in New York was probably at, at the time I did was definitely the place to grow up as a magic player.
0: And Neutral Ground was one of the like the big beginning stores. I I, I've, I remember reading a lot about it. Uh, like it was one of what what happened to it is it still there is it um
3: i i, I and I, I want to do all do justice to the people who owned it Brian David Marshall and i believe um another group of players bought it after him but how it got started was they uh bdm started a tournament organizer gray matter conventions which would run events in new york and they decided to start a gaming center and initially it was just gaming tables so Magic, and this was during the original collectible card game, boon. So there was Magic, there was Vampire, there was Legend of the Five Rings. There were all these games. And then there was also tabletop gaming, like Dungeons and Dragons and Warhammer. And this was in one location, on 7th Avenue, New York City. Um, They outgrew that space very quickly and opened up a space about two blocks away, where they also had a dedicated... uh, Laptop, uh, desktop gaming section where you could go in and play Half Life and other games of that nature. Um, you know, to give you an insight, you know, I would go there after junior high school with my friends, and we would play Half Life, and I had no idea what I was doing because I never played <laughs> video games. No. Um, and then they eventually outgrew that space, but by that time I was in college, and I never got to visit their third space. Um, after a while, the cost of rent went up so high that it was just not profitable. And so for a long time, there were no centralized game stores in New York City. Um, but now there's a number. There's King's Games in Brooklyn. There's 20-sided store in Brooklyn. There's Complete Strategist in Manhattan. There's Jim Hanley's Universe in Manhattan. And there are a few other in the metro New York area that all kind of have taken the place of what used to be neutral ground.
0: Oh, cool, cool. Um, so... For, for this episode, um, I wanted us to, to talk a bit about the history of Popper because I, I actually found it quite fascinating to, to learn how it all started. Now, you've, you've already given us uh, a little bit of the history uh, just by telling us how, how you started with it. Um, but perhaps you can tell us about uh, the, the founder, for example. Um, what's his name? Therion? Therion Wind. Therion win, yeah. So how, how did he, how did that all start?
3: Um, and I got this story from Tharian, who really is the grandfather of Popper Online. Um, Therion was someone who loved magic, but had to play it on a budget. Um, he was taking care of other members of his family and loved to compete, but couldn't afford to take care of his family, uh, take care of himself, and also fork over a large amount of money for you know, top-tier decks on Magic Online. Yeah. And I don't know when it came to him or how it came to him, but he decided to start a community of people who would play competitive Magic with just commons. And for anyone who's played Paper Magic or grew up teaching people to play Magic, this isn't anything new, playing with just commons, but doing so in an organized way on Magic Online with prizes was new. And also doing it in a way where the players ran the event, was also new. I I don't know how he got it, but he got his hands on a copy of DCI Reporter, um, the old tournament pairing software. Um, And if I dig into my old computers, I have the same copy. Most people who ever hosted a popper event did, but he started a community where he would host tournaments, and they'd be three, four rounds with a cut to top four or top eight, and it built. And so he would have seasons, which were 16 weeks long. And anyone who achieved a certain threshold of top eights and wins would get invited to the championship and be declared that season's champion. And I started in the third season. Um, but in between the first season and the third season, there was already controversy surrounding Affinity, which was oh. an incredibly busted mechanic. And back in the day, they had all artifact lands and cranial plating. Yeah, and they tried multiple different bannings.
0: What expansion had just come out back then, just to give us an idea of what what the time frame?
3: I started right as Betrayers of Kamigawa was coming out.
0: Okay, so that was just after that was just after a uh, uh, uh,
3: Yeah, it, it was the oh. second set of Kamigawa block. So really, Popper got started with Mirrodin block. Um, I want to say. It because Affinity was kind of the big boogeyman right from the start to okay. the point where one of the best decks was red-green because it killed Affinity uh, with an Anticu Vigilante. And okay. talking about the power level of cards, we can see how it's shifted over time. You know, there's no way that a 5-mana 3-2 that Disenchant would see play today, um, even with more. <laughs> um, so eventually the ban list got settled down to restricted artifact lands and banned cranial plating. Um, and actually, the list stayed that way for a very, very long time, <clears throat> until right before they sanctioned Popper, where myself and some other active members of the community tested out unrestricted artifact lands and unrestricted plating and came to the conclusion that with the release of cards like Smash to Smithereens, Ancient Grudge, and a whole slew of other cheap artifact removal spells, that it was okay to finally re- unrestrict the artifact lands. However, the biggest card that had a push in this was Gorilla Shaman. Uh, obviously anything that can blow up multiple lands for one colorless mana is really good against Affinity. Yeah. Um, but back to when I got started, um, we would volunteer for hosts. Hosts would be people who would run the tournament, play in the tournament. There would be a cut. It was a very tight knit group. You know, people. We all knew each other. We were all part of the same one or two clans. We all all hang out in the PDC chat room, and we started message boards um, to talk to one another. Um, Back then, it was still casual competitive. You know, there was no real super strong combo deck. The first combo deck in the format was Life Spark Spellbomb animating a Ravnica bounce land that's been enchanted with Freed from the Real to get (laughs) infinite mana. For either a Kerbex torch or a consumed spirit. What does Freed from the Real do? Freed from the Real is an aura from, I want to say, Saviors of Kamigawa that costs two and a blue for enchant creature and says blue tap target creature, blue untap target creature. Oh. creature. So okay. you animate the land, which produces blue and red usually, and uh, it is boiler works. You enchant it with the Freed from the Real. And you tap it
0: Just tap infinitely,
3: it. Yeah. untap okay. it, tap it to generate an infinite number of red mana, and then Carabax towards your opponent.
0: No, and now, th- now that's a combo I could live with. Something that you can interact with. Wish combo decks were like that now.
3: <laughs> that that is a very fair point. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but free from the real has obviously been pushed out by better combo decks. Uh, Storms, yes. yeah.
0: oh yeah, for sure.
3: Um. And pauper really survived. It thrived in that day because there were people who would run tournaments. Initially, they were run Saturday evenings, but you know many other people latched on. People with families, people who had kids, but still loved magic and wanted to play competitively, but again couldn't afford you know the top tier rares. And so yeah. someone started a tournament on Tuesday evenings, and then someone started one Saturday mornings for uh, Eastern time, and then there was one Saturday afternoon for European time, and so we had a proliferation of tournaments, and then that's when they started Standard popper. and that one really took off and has had a strong following, most recently headed up by Joe Cool, who finally got the Standard Popper filter on Magic Online. The other yeah. ones, uh, Extended, never really took off because it was always so similar to Classic, mm-hmm. um, and that was it, and then... There would also be alternate formats where it's prismatic, uh, prismatic or prismatic stairwell or rainbow stairwell. Um,
0: Th- those, those are where, uh, you have to have different colors and yes. you have to have one and two and three casting costs, different things like that, right? Yes.
3: Uh, okay. I, I cannot tell you the rules. I haven't played those events in so long, but one <laughs> thing that was also popular was duplicate sealed where everyone would get the same pool of cards and have to build a deck for a season or a week and play matches, and you know there were a lot of really important people who have drifted away from the pauper community, um, but were really active in getting it involved. People like Anthony Ritz, who I was well known to disagree with on many things, <laughs> magical, but really did a lot for the tournaments and the format. Uh, people who have some people still play Magic online. Uh, one is Bowen B O I N who was a shark in Pauper, as much as one could be. Uh, <laughs> and he recently, within the past year, won one of the Moto PTQs, one of the Magic Online PTQs, and is, you know, routinely will put up 4 and in daily events. Um, but once Popper got sanctioned, everything changed.
0: So what was the state of Pauper back then, and uh, and what, 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 what happened? What made Wizards decide to sanction it? How did that go?
3: Um... And I'm doing this from memory because it was so long ago. And, if, you know, it's hard to remember a time when Pauper wasn't sanctioned now. But yeah. back before Warth Walport took over Magic Online, um, there used to be this thing called Uncon, which was the unconventional convention, which was run through the wizard's boards. And it was a series of events on Magic Online that were community-driven. And the Pauper event would routinely get 125 people. Um, wow. You know, and... Meanwhile, it's a volunteer running an old version of DCI Reporter, manually posting all the pairings. Um, when Worth came on, I believe he really drove to make Magic Online a much more integrated experience. And we're seeing that now. But back then, there was a lot of backlash. And they were looking for ways to kind of reach out to the community, the active members of the community. Um, and there were some really, really vital people involved in that communication. Uh, one is Bubba 007. Uh, Walter, who was just, again, elected the Community Cup team. Yeah. Uh, another person that. is, you know, someone who was taken from us too soon, Eric Freiburg or Hamtastic. Yes. Um, Someone who I had the privilege of meeting at the first Community Cup. And these were people who, you know, fostered communities. But Popper started a huge slew of player-run tournaments there were player-run multiplayer tournaments, player-run classic tournaments, vintage tournaments by Danger Linto, who really spearheaded Classic on Magic Online, and because of legacy uh, coming to Magic Online, has really kind of taken a step back. But Hopper was really the first one where, you know, we were operating within the system, and yet we were separate from the system. And we were well within the rules, but it was still kind of this phenomenon, and... You know, Worth and the people at Magic Online, people like Lee Sharp saw what was going on. And I'm, I'm using Worth and Lee because I know them. I converse with them on Twitter occasionally, but I know there were more people involved in this decision. And so eventually Michael Gills came out with the announcement that, you know, we're going to sanction Papa. We're going to make it a real event. There's this huge community. There's, and they tapped into that. And the reason was, is because the community was so vibrant and strong. Um so if any of you out there listening have a favorite format on Magic Online that isn't currently supported, have a community behind it. Um Popper got sanctioned because there was a community and the subset of that is standard popper is now a filter because there's a community behind it. And we weren't making noise like you have to do this or we're walking away. We just played magic and they noticed that and they noticed there were a lot of people who were playing magic and playing popper and Really, it was a good business decision for them. Here were, we were giving over our own money to buy play sets of Exclude yeah. and Armadillo Cloak and other really hard-to-find Invasion Block cards. Mm-hmm. And they said, why don't we just charge people for this and give them packs? And it yeah. worked. You know, the first three Pauper Premier events had hundreds of players. They were incredibly popular. Um, you know, it took some time for the metagame to settle down and coalesce and really develop into one where the best decks rose to the top. But really, Sanctioning's been great for Popper. It's never really been taken out of our hands, Um, but part of that's because there haven't been cards released that need to be significantly neutered. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about Storm and how it's really good. I have my own opinions about that, and we can talk about that later. But really, they've had a very light touch, and that was evident when they released the original ban list and it banned cranial plating and had restricted artifact lands and had a number of other cards and they were using an old ban list. I emailed wizards right away within two days, they fixed it. So, cool. you know, it's a community format. It's a lot like commander is now how there was this really strong EDH community in the real world and magic paper, or as Eric liked to call it magic pants. And, <laughs> They now have the Rules Committee, which rules on Commander, and Wizards puts out Commander product. But at its core, it's still a community-driven format.
1: Let me just say that all this information is really, really interesting, and uh, I had no idea the depth of the history of this format, so it's really great that you are sharing this. Um, You you mentioned how the metagame took a really long time to develop and for some decks to, to end up on top. And, uh, it made me think about your earlier comment when you were playing, uh, Suicide Black and you just wanted to play that deck regardless of results and stuff. So basically my question is, as Popper was forming at the very beginning, were most people just playing whatever they wanted or were there people that were really trying to, to be competitive and, and figure out how to tackle the format? Cause when a format's really wide open like that, I found out of my personal experience with stuff like Silver Black that it's kind of hard to decide what you want to play um, because I'm I'm trying to figure out what other people are trying to play. So could you just maybe, like, paint a picture of what the metagame was in the beginning? Was it just everybody doing their own thing or what?
3: It, it was kind of everybody doing their own thing. Um, the people who had played a lot of PDC Magic, Pauper Magic before knew what some of the best decks were. You know, we knew about the Storm Combo deck. We may not have had the best build, but we knew about it. We knew about mono black control. We knew about green white slivers. Uh, Goblins wasn't a deck yet. This was before uh, cards like uh, Goblin Raider, uh, Mog Raider were released, and so Goblins was missing a lot of key cards. Sure, there were red decks and burn decks, but Goblins didn't exist yet. Um, white Weenie wasn't a deck at this time either. <gasps> Sacrilege. Well,. Uh, I'll, take, I'll take this time for a tangent. Uh, white Weenie, if you've read that Star City Games article, was me winning the best bet. It's the only time I've ever really won a bet, but yeah. the, the joke was, well, there's this really great red aggro deck, and there's this good green aggro deck, but white sucks in pauper. And I took the challenge to say that's not true. White has better creatures or has good creatures on curve with every other color. And so I took the bet to build White Weenie, and it was interesting to say the least to try and build this deck, but it matched up really well with the format back then because it had Shade of trocaire on one, and it had even Riftwatcher on three, as well as Razor Golem on three, so it could attack and block better than just about any deck out there. And it became a force very quickly once it started making its way to the Qs, uh, the two-man queues and the four-man queues, and... This was before daily events. Um, but really, White Weenie exists or existed as early as it did in the form that it did because I took a challenge and wanted to prove someone I didn't like very much wrong on a message board. Um, and I'm just saying that because I'm sure White Weenie would have been discovered. You know, someone I worked with always used to say, you, you never build a deck. The deck is always there. You just find it. Because Wizards makes all the cards. Wizards makes all the decks. It's our job to find them and put them together in the right way, but the decks already exist.
0: There there you are, Dime. You know who you owe your existence to.
1: Yeah, I'd be playing Boros otherwise probably and not winning as much. Yeah.
3: Um, But, yes, the metagame really was a lot of people who were playing what they wanted to, at least at the first event, um, which I believe was won by, if my memory serves me correctly, a blue-black aggro-tortured existence deck
0: the the first uh the, like event. the very first PDC challenge
3: No, the very first um premier event run by Wizards. Oh, okay. The, the first PDC challenge I could not even begin to figure out um there were so many different decks that one blue control one mono red one um, for a while one of the best decks was a green white saproling deck.
0: Well, that one one of those is still Popular right now? Yes. The token, screen white tokens? Um, I wanted to ask you uh, what interesting decks existed back then that don't exist now. I've heard, for example, of Parlor Tricks, uh, but I've never actually seen it do anything in, in the dailies. I've, I've heard of uh, decks based on Night Sky Mimic. Uh, I've never seen those in the dailies. I guess those were things of the past. Uh, were those popular back then?
3: Absolutely. So, King Ritz, Anthony Ritz, who I was talking about before, um, was the person behind Parlor Tricks. He, Parlor Tricks was a, it was a Grixis control deck, and it was an incremental advantage deck. It would run cards like Probe, and is it Cronach to get Probe back, and would run one for one removal, and would run Spire Golem to block and would run Ninja of the Deep Hours to get them back. And it was just a value deck. And I was not a fan of it, because I felt that it was just doing what Mono Black Control did, but was doing it with more colors just to be different. Um, mm. Parlor Tricks was around for the first couple of premier events, but it kind of fell by the wayside when decks started becoming uh more coalesced. Uh, Power Tricks was great for a wide-open metagame because it can kind of deal with everything, but it was really bad at dealing with a defined metagame. Um, Night Sky Aggro was actually a deck that lasted until the third or fourth premiere event, um, wherein it was a black-white mid-range aggro deck that would run Night Sky Mimic and numerous black-white spells to trigger the Mimic, things like Blind Hunter, Unmake, Edge of the Divinity, um, but it also succeeded because it had the option to go turn one Nip Gwillian, a 1-1 one, one lifelink for hybrid Orzhov, and then turn two, enchant it with Edge of the Divinity to give it plus three, plus three, and suddenly you're attacking with a 4-4 four, four lifelink creature on turn two in Pauper.
0: Yeah. Sounds pretty powerful.
3: It, it was quite good.
0: Um now, I'd like to ask you about Mono Black Control, because I believe that was, like, the the big controversial we-hate-this-deck deck back then.
3: Mono Black Control was one of the early best decks. And I, people didn't hate the deck as much as I think they hated two cards in the deck, and one far more than another. Um, Tendrils of Corruption and Crypt Rats. Tendrils... Mm-hmm doesn't see as much play now, um, partially because of goblins, partially because the format is faster. But back then, it was almost two time walks. You would cast the tendrils, remove a creature from the board, gain four life, which would be undoing one attack. So you're undoing one attack phase, one main phase. That's very good um, in a format of just commons. But the card that really annoyed people the most was Crypt because it was the only Wrath of God or Board Sweeper in Pauper, and there were a number of people who thought that it was too good and was a real detriment to creature decks in the format. Um, But just like anything else, in any format, it's a limiting factor. Um, You know, there was a lot of people calling for it to be banned, or rather there were a few very vocal people. I felt that it was a very fair card and that banning it was just a mistake. Uh, They never banned it, obviously and after the premier events you know mono black still is a powerful deck but it's very different now crypt isn't even an automatic four of um and the format has just gotten faster to the point where you know crypt is a viable card and something you have to take into account but isn't the same it's not the end all and be all
0: yeah yeah Monobot control has definitely uh become almost a second tier deck because it has bad matchups against uh you know blue delver and cloud post and, and even even storm gives it a lot of trouble um uh talking about storm I, when like did that become Such a strong deck until recently, like in the last year, or was it as soon as uh, Time Spiral came out? How did that one come about?
3: Really, as soon as Time Spiral came out, people started messing around with Storm. Um, uh, This was before Ride of Flame had come out when Time Spiral came out, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, Or did Ride of Flame come out before? Regardless, um, Storm had existed, but it was never so great that people really played it, at least in the player run events. However, once prizes were on the line, it became much more common to see the decks, um, to see Storm. You know, I'm looking over right now in the first premiere event, a Goblin Storm deck came in 10th, just outside the top 8. Um, yeah. And it was, it took people really trying to win at the format to figure out their right mana, figure out the spell base, figure out everything. Um, Really, the key card for Storm was Goblin Bushwhacker. Um, Goblin Bushwhacker would enable someone to win with Empty the Warrens on the same turn it was cast. Before that, the Storm count would have to get to 20 before someone cast Grape Shot, or they would need multiple Grape Shots. Um, Empty the Warrens, you really only need to get to five Storm copies with a Goblin Bushwhacker, to attack for the win. Um, that's really the card that really pushed Storm over the edge in some ways, um, to a point where, you know, two of the best decks are Storm, and they both run either that card or Graveshot. Um, yeah. Storm is a very, you know, if you read Mark Rosewater's blog, his Tumblr where he answers questions, he keeps getting asked about how can they fix Storm, and his constant response is, you can't. Storm is really broken. <laughs> um, and it's, it's not that the effects themselves, Empty the Warrens, or Graveshot, are all that broken. It's the fact that the answers that exist for cards like those do not really exist at common. Um, sure, there are ways to answer Empty the Warrens, because it's creatures, and creatures are bread and butter of limited, so you need to be able to remove them. Uh, things like Echoing Decay, Echoing Truth, Holy Light, all exist, but... Yeah. There's nothing that stops storm other than deft use of counter magic um and that's really the choke point at popper going forward I, I know that we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but the choke point is printing interesting cards at common that can be answered by other cards at common which is why the new world order of design is very good for popper
0: the, the answer would be to remove some cards that don't fit the new world order I guess but that would be banning and well, I guess we want to try to avoid that, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. For now, I'd I'd like to see if we can go through some of the the meta game, the big meta game changes that happened throughout the ages. Like what cards came out or what decks rose to the top to change uh, the meta game considerably each time. Like for example, um, at one point, the fran- frantic search, mm-hmm. I believe it is. Frantic Search Storm was so powerful it had to be banned. Um what what other decks like well what what happened with that deck and what other decks like that uh changed the meta game since uh Magic was sanctioned and now?
3: Well, like I said, uh, Mono-Black really started at the top. Um mm-hmm. and what really undid Mono-Black was the rise of goblins. Um Okay. And it was goblins had always had access to goblin Sledder, but it's when they printed Mog Raider, which is a functional, they're the same card. Um, that's when things changed. Um, cause it gave eight turn one sacrifice outlets to goblins. And then it also got some other cards, like a second two drop, two power, one drop. It got another, it got Mog Flunkies. Um, and goblins, the ability to sacrifice creatures to negate a tendrils of corruption was huge. It changed the complexion of Popper. Um, really the other big things that changed Popper, like I said, Goblin Bushwhacker. It pushed Goblins over the edge as well, but it also made Storm very, very good. And you see that to today. Um, yeah. another card in Storm's hat that kind of pushed it up a little bit more was Sign in Blood. Storm always ran on black and red ritual effects, but would have blue for card draw. But now you have this black card draw spell, which fits perfectly because it allows you to finagle your numbers and it makes it easier to not color hose yourself. Um, Storm might be the best deck in Pauper, but it's also very susceptible to hate. Things like Okiba Gang Shinobi, Duress, really kind of are a limiting factor for Storm, uh, which is, again, why black attrition decks always are popular. Uh, things with mm-hmm. Chittering Rats, things with Liliana's Spectre, uh, Ravenous Rats. They're popular because they keep decks like that in check. Mm-hmm. Um, the next couple really big shifts are the Rise of Goblins led to a rise in White Weenie because White Weenie could block goblins and gain life in the way. Um, and it kind of vacillated back and forth between these decks for a long time. Uh Mono Blue Control uh, or Mono Blue Midrange, which had fairies like Pestermite Spellstar Sprite, Spiregola, Mole Drifter, Ninja of the Deep Hours, was also a really big deck for a while. Um, But the next real big thing that happened was um, two things happened very close in time to each other. Uh, Urza's Legacy was released online, and Scars of Mirrodin was released online. Okay. Scars gave us Glimmerpost, which enabled Cloudpost decks. Cloudpost had been a fringe strategy prior to this, But now with eight posts and the ability to generate tons and tons of mana, Cloud Post became an enticing strategy. And Glimmer Post would allow you to gain tons of life um while also advancing your mana development, which made it very, very enticing. And so that's when we see the rise of blue, black and blue red post. Um and and,
0: and there's a there's also a green post, right? Though that one's not as successful.
3: Yes, green post actually rose in regards to the deck we're going to talk about, which is Frantic Storm. Okay. So, when Frantic Search came out, the original decks were Ravnica Bounce Land, loaded up with Wild Growth and Fertile Ground, generate all this mana, untap all your lands, generate more mana, cast Temporal Fissure, wiping your opponent's board, play Mnemonic Wall, get back Temporal Fissure, do it all again, um, generate tons and tons of mana, finally use a burn spell to wipe out your opponent. Mm-hmm. But very quickly, someone found a better version of that deck, which used Familiar's, uh, Nightscape and Sunscape Familiar from Plane Shift, mm-hmm. to reduce the cost of these spells, to just a single blue mana. Yeah. And then they used the Bounce Lands and everything to generate tons of mana, and Temporal Fissure the opponent into Oblivion, and eventually win by attacking with Moldrifter. Um...
0: And they use a Cloud of Fairies... Cloud and of Fairies,
3: Snap, snap. Frantic Search. Um, the big... Cloud of Fairies and Snap are both very good cards, and borderline broken. But the thing that was so, so good about Frantic Search is that it was only played in that deck, and optimally, it would generate 11 mana by itself. You have three Karoos out, you tap them all, that's six mana. You use one to cast Frantic Search because you have obviously you have two familiars in play. Oh, yeah. You untap your lands, you filter away two dead cards, because the deck was so redundant. It was all lands or combo pieces, so you filter away two lands you don't need. You get two new spells. You tap that. You just drew two cards and generated 11 mana with one card. Wow. That is why it was banned. It, it became a metagame where it was you're either Frantic Storm or you're Anti-Frantic Storm or you're dead and that's where, what? where we got mono green post because it ran upwards of 12 stone rain effects.
0: Oh okay. I I was just going to ask what was the way to combat frantic storm.
3: Mono green so, post. Affinity okay. um, came back in the fold at this time because it could kind of combo kill with crack clan shaman and disciple of the vault, but really even that was too slow. Um and it became a matter of stall them out long enough to win or you lose. Um, and that's why Wizards eventually banned Frantic Search, um, which I think was the right move. Uh, yeah. The next biggest play, obviously, was the printing of Glistener Elf, piggybacked with Invigorate, which gave Infect legitimacy as a deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, the next big printing was Delver of Secrets, which yeah. uh, changed Blue Control forever into the... You know, very good, but not nearly as dominating deck as we think today. Um, and then, I guess the next printing, the other big printing in that time span was Squadron Hawk, which oh, yeah. like we need access to card advantage. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, at, at least it's uh, you know distributed among all colors.
3: <laughs> you know, there there there's a lot of the diversity at the top of popper. Um, you know, you can ask five people and you'll get five different answers about what the best deck is. And I routinely talk to two different people who think Storm is the best deck, but it's actually Delver, but maybe it's Cloudpost. So there's, well,
0: I say it's all three. They're all very good.
3: Those <laughs> yeah. are the three top decks.
0: I, I was just uh, reading a a, a a thread on MTG Salvation where somebody was saying, "Oh, this card needs to be banned, and this card needs to be banned, all these cards need to be banned," and and it's just funny because when when you have so many cards for so many decks that need to be banned well nothing needs to be banned because that just means that they're all it's all balanced right so we just have a format with really strong cards even though they're all common
3: exactly and that's where people that's where the disconnect is popper is an eternal format um and it's going to be filled with powerful cards magic's been around for almost 20 years and there are way more commons out there than any other card rarity. Mm -hmm. So, of course, there's going to be positive interactions over the course of 20 years that were never intended, like infect and invigorate. Mm -hmm. Um, But that doesn't mean they should be banned. You know, if one deck was clearly dominating to the point where it forced other decks out of the format, I would agree that something needs to be banned. But between Storm, there are three different Storm decks. There's a Temporal Storm deck. There's the Goblin Storm deck. There's the Sacrifice Land Storm deck, and then there's Mono Green Stompy, and then there's Mono Green Infect, and then there's Goblins, which isn't as good as it used to be, but still good. Yeah. There's three or right. four different flavors of Cloud Post that are successful. You know, sure, it's easy to say, oh, it's all Delver and Post. You know, Delver doesn't go 4-0 in the dailies all that often. People just mm-hmm. hate playing blue decks, playing against them. You know, Storm will four O. Not too long ago, I did a survey of all the top decks in June, and what really surprised everyone was how successful White Weenie was. White Weenie, which is just creatures.
0: Don't don't say it like that in front of uh, Dime. You Uh might get offended.
3: So, (laughs) you know, we're really at a time where there's, you know, a very clear Tier 1, but Tier 2 isn't that far behind. And, you know, with the release of the Guild Gates over the next two sets, we're going to see a lot of old cards that might have been pushed away come back to the forefront um because of the increase in the quality of mana available. Yeah. You know, we're going to see a card like Putrid Leech maybe get it to Day in the Sun because you're going to be able to consistently cast it on turn two now. Mm-hmm.
1: So kind of piggybacking on what you were talking about with your article, one of your recent ones, you wrote a really good summary of the sort of the top tier decks in the format based on some stats that you looked up. And I was just wondering if since then, since that article came out, uh, do you feel like anything's changed or is it kind of the same now as it was when, when you put out that article?
3: You know, I I was really proud of that article and I'm really happy I got it done. I, I wrote it in June and it went up in July, but the one thing I wish I had done was I wish I'd wait till after M13 came out on Magic Online because when I was doing this survey, there were, you know, dailies with 10 people, dailies with five people with winning records. Since the release of M13 and since pauper queues have started paying out in M13 and pauper dailies, the number of people who are mm-hmm. cashing in dailies and pauper, 25, 30, so there's a much more robust um, metagame looking at I know some people are looking at that. Um, the one thing that's really shocked me since that is how Delver isn't really the best. You know, Delver racked up a lot of points back then, and it still does, but it doesn't 4-0 as much as you would think a deck that hated would. Uh, Delver's a great deck to pick if there was going to be a premier event or if there was going to be, you know, if I wanted to go 3-1. Um but at the same time it's just a deck. It, it it runs some great counter spells, but it's not so overpowering. Um largely because decks like Storm can sometimes bypass the hate, and decks like Cloudpost really don't care if you play a 3-2 on turn one. Um, Cloudpost and Storm are still jockeying for that position of best deck, but they're both held in check with things like Infect and Affinity, which can win out of nowhere. Um, and as good as Storm is, it's still fragile, which is why you still see things like Black succeed. Um, if I had to say the biggest change since I wrote the article would be the decline of Delver. Not not that far, but it's definitely maybe not the best deck. Um, and an increase in the Popper Perfect Storm over the Blue-Red Goblin Storm variant. And also just that White Weenie is better than we anticipated even back then. Also, I think that the right version of Cloudpost does run at least one ghostly flicker. Um, that card is just so good.
0: I, I'd just like to add one thing, because otherwise Psychobabble would, would be angry, and that's that uh, Monogreen Stompy has become quite a force, or at least in popularity. It's, it's definitely, it's sometimes actually uh, almost in third place, uh, according to some of the recent analysis that I've seen. Stom- um, Stompy
3: is a fantastic deck and I always yeah. underrate it, but back in the days of the premier events, someone I worked with, uh Greg Weiss, a former pro player who uh kind of has fallen out of magic, um, you know, was working on Stompy and put a lot of work in to make Stompy a real threat and a real deck. And, you know, if you look at his deck from two, three years ago, not much has changed till today. Um, so he really does not get the credit he deserves for that deck. Um, he really made the core. He was the one who really discovered the Slohana, not Slohana, I'm sorry, this uh, Shinnan of Life's Roar technology that is so instrumental in that deck today.
0: And even with recent releases, uh, recent sets like Young Wolf and um, uh, what's it called? Howl. I'm uh, the, of the- Howl Pack. Hunger of the Halpact. Pact, uh, I, I think those cards have affected it and have uh, Absolutely. made it go, go to the top. And, you know, something that I've noticed, uh, and, and, and this is mildly related to what we're talking about, I've noticed that the, the top grinders, the top daily grinders, seem to have switched decks, and I find that to be a little bit funny. Some of the people that we've we've interviewed, some of the people that we've been looking at in the dailies, like uh, Paolo Cabral and Eight Six Eight Six, even New Plan, they've all changed the decks they're playing with. I wonder. I I don't know exactly what that means, or if it's just a uh, it's just a show of of the diversity of the format, or if, if they themselves are trying to outwin. Like, gain the metagame?
3: I think that's uh, part of it. But I think the other thing is is that when you look at Pauper as a format, the margins between decks are very narrow. You know, yes,
0: definitely. And
3: so it's sometimes, it, it, if if anyone's looking to get into Pauper, the one thing I would tell you is pick a deck and learn it inside and out. You know, exactly. I, I, I've been playing Goblins, which is clearly a Tier 2 and maybe Tier 3 deck now. But I I like goblins and I know goblins much better than I know any other deck right now. Um, so if I was going into an event, I would play goblins, even if I know that it has a tough matchup against Cloudpost and a tough matchup with White Weenie, because those margins are they exist, but they are small. And
0: actually, I I think it has a, a decent matchup against Cloudpost, but yeah, White Weenie and, and
3: it, it depends on the turn. I mean, goblins it, yeah. if they can start chaining Glimmer posts, it is just dreadful. Yeah. Yeah, um, but
0: that, that brings me to, to to one point that I, I really want to mention right now. Uh, most analysis of the metagame are based on uh, decks that are winning, like four owing or three winning the the dailies, and that that to me shows it, it's it's proportional to to it's relatively proportional to how good a deck is. But it doesn't show what decks it beats exactly. or how good it is at beating a deck. And that, I, until Wizard starts showing what the decks played uh, in, in each event or, or something like that, we're not going to know that information. And I've, everyone by now should know that, that we have a, a matchup table on, on the blog that is attempting to relate how each deck deals with each other deck. And I've been trying to tweak it as we as we build these uh, primers and and as I talk to people. And in general, most of the matchups are very even and just have a very slight edge one over another. So yeah, that what you're saying there is is very true. You the the person the better you you control a deck, the, the higher your skill uh, the, the better chance you have. It's not really a case of, well, is there a best deck? Not, not really. There, there's a few best decks, uh, but you can choose any of them and win a daily at any given time if you're good enough to play them.
1: Absolutely. Do you currently think there's anything that should be banned? And if not, is there a card that you think is at risk? It potentially could be banned later if it, if it becomes, a, a, too much of a problem?
3: Right now, I don't think anything should be banned. Um, uh, that, that's pretty clear. I think that the f- metagame is pretty balanced. But if I were, if there were going to be cards put on watch, I, I'd say cards with the keyword storm. Um, yeah. which should, might be put on watch. And I also think that if they continue to be a limiting factor, it, it would not surprise me to see people start talking about cloud post. Um, even though I actually think glimmer post is more offensive because it gives that deck such a great defense, a natural built-in defense against aggro decks. But I, I don't think any of those really need to be banned. Um, I, and I actually posed the question on Twitter not too long ago, is it time to unban cranial plating? Um, you know, not that Affinity needs any help, but is cranial plating still so good that it needs to be banned? And, you know, we don't know. Um, I, I can what? say that there's, Wizards is aware of it, um and I put my faith in them to determine whether or not that card still needs to remain on the ban list because does affinity get that much better? Maybe, but what other decks become viable with cranial plating? Um, I'm I'm a fan of the smallest ban list possible, and if a card does not need to be banned, I don't believe it should be.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. Mm. So talking about banning, how do you see where do you see Popper going? And by that question, I mean, um, for starters, do you feel that Wizards is actively designing cards with Pauper in mind?
3: They can't. It it would be terrible for Limited if they designed uh, cards with Pauper in mind. Um, You know, I I think that at the same time, if you want to have good Limited formats, you need to design cards that are good for Pauper. Um, Limited is largely... Creatures and commons bouncing off one another. And, yes, anyone who drafts knows that there are rares and uncommons, and sometimes you get really lucky and get past a rank or sixth pick in an M13 draft. Um, mm-hmm. that, that actually happened at a draft I was in not too long ago. But if you want to have a good limited format, you need good commons. Um, and we've seen that recently with things like War Falcon, Attending Night, Wild Guest. You know, these are not... Things that are necessarily explicitly printed for Popper, yet are making waves in Popper. Um so I don't think wizards should print cards with pauper in mind. I think they really need to be concerned with limited. And if they concern themselves with limited, we're gonna get good cards for Popper. You know, when you look at the story behind the gates, that's why we have the gates. You know, they needed a good common land for Ravnica return to Ravnica, and they wanted to do the invasion duels but they couldn't because they'd be strictly worse than the um if you read mark rosewater's return to ravnica yeah. preview three article and he goes into this great thing about you know they needed it at common so they printed it at common you know if you asked me five years ago would we ever have common dual ends, i'd say probably not but we have them in a few short weeks well half of them in a few short weeks the other half will be coming out <laughs> in february
0: Okay, so Alex, do you have anything, anything in addition you want to talk about regarding the kind of the development of Popper and how we got here? I think you've done a really good job of of explaining like how how Popper is where it's at.
3: The, the, the one big thing I'd say is that I really believe that the direction that Popper needs to take is to become a split format. I, I really think that to help integrate the magic online and magic real world game. Um, The standard Pauper filter is a good first step. I think sanctioning standard Pauper events is a logical next step Um, because not only would that open up the diversity of gameplay in Pauper, it would allow us to maintain Classic and the broken decks that exist there (laughs) because who doesn't like winning with 30 Goblin tokens on turn two? Sometimes that's just awesome. But at the same time, it would allow some really cool cards that haven't made the cut in standard and classic opera to see play. And on top of that, it would actually be good for the secondary magic, marketing of magic online as well. You know, all of a sudden you have all these commons. Well, what can I do with them from draft? I can sell them for maybe a little more than normal, or I can play events with them. And it's a win-win because, well, people are getting extra utility out of their, you know, primal hunt beasts. Okay, well, how do you also do that? Well, then you also run standard tournaments in stores as casual events. I, I, if you guys go to paper stores, you'll know that after a draft, there are stacks upon stacks of comments that people just leave there. Anyone who drafts can build a pretty competitive standard pauper deck without putting in too much money um or effort. And it's also a great introduction to players to construct it. A lot of players start in limited because you don't need the big decks And then, you know, okay, well, I have all these draft cards. Let me build a pauper deck. Okay, I have my pauper deck. I've won a little bit of store credit. Let me start buying these uncommons and rares and add them to my deck. I I think that pauper needs to adopt standard, and Wizards needs to adopt standard pauper as a way to, you know, increase acquisition and increase integration between the digital world and the physical world.
0: Yeah, I think that would be a great great thing for Magic Online and the and pants, ma- magic pants. Um, and in fact, like right now, we don't have full support from Wizards with sanctioned events for Standard Proper, but there are still player-organized events, player-run events. So anyone uh, entering the world of Magic Online with a limited budget can very easily uh, enter, say, a release event, keep all the cards they have, Maybe purchase a few more cards with a single ticket and create a competitive standard popper deck and start playing in some of these, uh, organized player run events. Uh, there's, how many are there right now? There's like two or three each week. Uh, they're free to enter. You get prizes. So that makes magic very accessible and it, and it, and it's there right now for the person who, who looks for it. So I think Wizards can also take advantage of of this of this small step just like they did with uh, classic popper.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, this question I think kind of I speak for Gabo and myself when I say that we're really interested in contributing to Popper and to really help elevate it or or make a difference, make it better. Um and getting to hear like this whole history of Popper has been really cool because it makes me feel like we're part of something that's been evolving and has a long life and a legacy it's starting to d- develop its own legacy so i was i wanted to ask you um how can we better contribute to popper um and help elevate it make it better how can we make a difference in the format uh, do, you have a, do you have any advice or ideas
3: for us um well first keep doing what you're doing um but keep putting out content keep aggregating content but keep playing and keep innovating. Um, you know, don't let the top deck stop you from trying something new. Uh, especially because you never know when you're going to come across the next white weenie or the next Stompy or the next whatever. You know, no one's built a red deck that hasn't been goblins or burned in how long? A long time. Um, keep playing, keep writing. But I think the biggest thing is to keep keep it out there and show people that it is not just a format of grizzly bears bouncing off one another, um, which is what a lot of people think it is. Um, if you play paper stores, build a pauper cube. Um, pauper cubes are awesome. And you can ask Adam Stabrowski, um, the editor-in-chief of GatheringMagic.com, and Osman Jamil, who writes cube articles for Starship Games. You can ask these people, and pauper cube is drastically different than just about any other cube you'll ever come across because it's comments. It's, you know, it's about combat. It's about attrition. Um, and bring them to stores, bring your cube to stores, write about it, write about Hopper. You know, you don't have to write for a website. You know, I maintain a personal blog where I will occasionally write about stuff that matters to me that maybe doesn't matter to star city the same way. Um, put it out there. Uh, I encourage everyone to use the hashtag MTG Popper on Twitter. Um, cause if you just use hashtag Popper, sometimes you'll get some people in Germany talking about being poor.
0: Yeah. Um,
3: I've noticed this a few times. When people that are notable in the Magic community play Popper, talk to them about it. You know, a number, a couple years ago, Luis Scott Vargas played in a premiere event and got second, uh, with Blue Black Control. And I was able to interview him on that. Not too long ago, Brian Kibler, you know, did a, did a video stream of him playing mono black and Pauper. Um, when you go to your local store, ask if they want to do a Pauper side event. Um, if there's a Grand Prix in your area, organize a get-together to play popper. You know, the more, it's just like what happened when we moved from player-run event to sanctioned, is the more people play it, the more notice it will get. You know, Pauper is already one of the top four formats, constructed formats on Magic Online. I think only Standard outdoes it regularly. Standard, the most popular format, just beats Pauper, um, except during, you know, PTQ seasons where Modern counts and Block counts. Yeah. But think about that for a second. A format that is just Commons is one of the most popular formats on Magic Online that isn't drafting. You know, <laughs> if someone had said that when Magic Online first got started, They probably would have laughed you out of the room.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, here's a question. Uh, Do you have a theory on why the uh, wizards reduced the number of
3: daily events? Um, I'm guessing demand. They didn't want to spread demand too thin. But I think also, um, I think it's just trying to figure out what schedule works best for everyone. Um, People like Lee Sharp, who run the analytics and data analysis of Magic Online, do a lot of work and see a lot of things. And I think seeing. You know, three huge events a day is a lot more impressive than seeing six smaller events a day. Mm. And I think that yeah. especially during release times, you know, right now when M13 is also the heavy drafted format, you don't want to do too much to devalue those packs. I mean, anyone who played at the tail end of M12 can attest that sometimes you win a two-man queue where you invest three dollars or two dollars in a tip in a pack, and if you win, you get something that's worth two ninety three US. So you don't want to deflate the values of those too much. So I think it's yeah. partially wanting to have bigger events, but also trying to manage the secondary market, which is incredibly valuable to Magic Online because mm, yeah. people will draft and they'll use their winnings, and if they want to get more stuff to draft, <laughs> they'll play Popper and sell some more for winnings. But <laughs> this they want to maintain that cycle at a good level. Um, I'd not be surprised once Return to Ravnica comes out, the number of daily events for Pauper goes back up a little bit because the demand for M13 will have gone down. Okay. Cool. It's all commons and draft. That's what drives magic. Yeah. (laughs) I want to talk about uh,
0: clans for a minute now. And this is actually related to, to what you were just saying about what we can do to make... Uh, to, to make Popper better. I think clans are a great way to form a community and to find other people who are interested in uh, you know, playing the same formats that you want. And we, we, we had a show previously where we talked about clans, uh, and I wanted to give a, a small update on some other clans that I've found. But first of all, I want to get an update from you,
1: Dime, on how Popper Gnomes is going. I've been very happy with Popper Gnomes. Uh, unfortunately... For the past week and a half or so, I haven't been able to go on Magic Online very often. So I haven't. I've only been able to check in once or twice on the clan. But um, before that, I was very active, especially with the Silver Black stuff um, online. So I was present for quite a bit. I have unfortunately had to be a little bit stricter on screening people and accepting people into the clan, just due to some events that happened. But otherwise. Uh, things have been great. We've got a few members who are actually streaming on Twitch TV, which is yes. really exciting and very cool. I, I, I think that streaming is going to become even bigger than it is. It's a really big deal, and I can't wait to start really getting in the mix with that. Um, also, speaking of Silver Black, we have a lot of members who are now excited and co- about and competing in Silver Black. And that's really cool. We started a little subgroup that we call Team Popper Gnomes, and that's that's a group of people that we get together with and do testing and brewing for that format. So that's been really fun, too. So, I mean, that's pretty much what's been going on. Uh, we still have a lot of great members uh, that are very active, including people like New Plan and Space Jam, and they're both really chilling it in the uh, daily events which I'm very proud of and very happy about. So, yeah, anybody who's interested in joining a clan, I highly recommend contacting me and joining up with us cuz we'd love to have you. Cool. Do you have any like internal clan like leagues, ladders or or events
0: or do you just you just kind of practice together and and try to uh, go into the PDC events and the, and the and the dailies?
1: You know, we briefly talked about getting some kind of league together we didn't end up figuring out what we wanted to do with it because I, I think if we do something like that i i would personally like to have it be more in the spirit of fun than cutthroat competition so to sort of um to embody that i want the league to be something something like a one of those alternate formats like a Prismatic or or something like that, something really kind of off the beaten path. It's just that we didn't really come to a consensus on what we wanted to do with that. But I think that would be very fun. For now, it's mostly just testing and brewing and kind of cheering each other on as we jump into events together.
0: Okay, cool. Well, there you have it.
1: Popper gnomes. Uh, Alex, uh, do you
0: have a a clan?
3: Uh, I I do have a clan. I am the person in charge of the Communist Party, which is... (laughs) the oldest pauper clan that I know about. However, um, I am one of like the only people who still signs in. Um, so I've actually been trying to leave the clan. I, I bequeathed the leadership to someone else, but since I have, that person hasn't logged in. So he hasn't been able to take it.
0: Oh, okay.
3: <laughs> so I am, uh, still the leader, but I, I mostly do a lot of work on email with friends. um, i recently started working with uh Nighthawk or Night H A V K on Popper. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who regularly does well in the dailies with a uh, Storm, uh well known for abandoning empty Warrens in favor of Grape Shot, which I think is a very mm-hmm. smart move. Mm-hmm. Um I work with Baron Singer, uh six nine six nine, who is an old school PDC player who really never fell out. Um, has some success in the two man's, but doesn't really Play dailies, uh, brews quite a bit, um, and someone who has been getting better as long as I've known him. And then also, I started working with AJ Kerrigan, uh, from Star City Games, who also has expressed interest in Popper and likes data mining, so is doing a lot of work with spreadsheets. Uh, that's what I work oh. with now. Uh, I also bounce ideas off of just about anyone I talk to. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of people at my local game store. Uh, I harass my friend Seth. Um, about it all the time, about what I think is good and usually tells me why I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> do, do you know of any other, uh, like, outstanding clans on MTGO that you've heard of?
3: Uh, the uh, Team DBC. Uh, when I interviewed okay. E-Hustle, um, yeah. the, the brains behind Tortured Existence, mm-hmm. he, he told me about Team DBC, which has a lot of popper ringers.
0: Yeah, we... Yeah, love is actually... Well he's he's still a member uh, hes he's a part of that of that uh, clan
3: that that's the big one I know about
0: yeah, yeah, they have the highest uh booster count of all the uh, popper clans that I know of um, now I, of course, i'd like to mention my own clan i'm part of popper crew, uh, which is th- to my knowledge it's the biggest clan. Uh, popper focused clan in MTGO right now. It's got over 160 members and we've got uh, a nice little set of forums where uh, everyone uh, talks and, and chats. And we've got a lot of leagues, internal leagues going on and a lot of focus on, especially on the PDC events and uh, a bunch of things. And that, that's a great, that's a great clan to go into as well. Uh, if you want to contact, uh, if you want to join Popper Crew, uh, you should contact uh, Parapsitic or the, he, there's also a user on MTGO that has the same name as our clan, which is Popper Crew, and that's that has administrative uh, rights, so you can contact that that person. Various people control that user, uh, or look up the the website uh, on Google. And there you can you can also register for that website, and that's another way to try and join it. And I highly recommend it. I mean there there is there's various options, uh, you know, like popper gnomes and popper crew. And I was I was looking around and I found some some other uh popper clans that I hadn't noticed before. One is called Common Sense, and that's another relatively big popper clan. It's led by Jay Mason, whom I've seen uh in the forums, I believe, and in the MTG forums. And they all, they actually have a website. It's called commonsense.forum.sp. And so I guess they're, they're pretty much organized as well. I I haven't talked to them yet, but I'd like to. Uh, And just, just looking at what clans have the word common in them, there's a common cause, common ground, common sense, common ears, common interests, and all 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 those clans have a description that indicates that they're they're pauper clans. They don't have a lot of people, but but they're they're smaller, intimate, more intimate, pauper clans. So a clan is a good way to find a community, and I definitely recommend joining one if you haven't already.
3: I, I will say one more thing. Um, I, I recommend pdcmagic.com. Um, it, it is one of the best and most trafficked. Popper forums. That's just dedicated to Popper. Um, I know the MCG Salvation forums uh, has a lot of activity, and sometimes the Wizards forum as well. But the,
0: no, P- it's it's a dead, it's a it's a desert in the Wizards forums, yeah. I'm afraid.
3: <laughs> but yeah. PDC Magic is pretty active, and the Classic forum has threads on most, if not all, of the top decks.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I always send. Uh, I always put links to. Uh, the, the threads on, on the PDC forums for any primers we do, and and that's one of the places that I always look at when I want to figure out if there's anything interesting going on. So, yeah. And you're a moderator right there, right? I am a
3: moderator in the classic forum.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, Dime, uh, so how can they reach you?
1: So you guys can check out some of my videos on youtube.com slash SC. I also have videos up on Gatherling.com on their main page. They're posting up any of my uh, videos related to their events. So you can now check those out there as well. You can follow me on Twitter at DimeCollectorSC. And you can check out my articles and video series called Dime a Dozen at MTGOacademy.com. So look for Jason Moore, that's me, that's the author of that series, and I hope you guys enjoy. Please do give me any feedback or comments you can on any of my material, constantly trying to improve and kind of give the people what they want, what they want to see, what they want to hear about. So let me know, and a big thanks to Alex for joining us. This was a really, really cool experience, so appreciate it.
3: And if you want to reach out to me, I am at nerd to the Core. N E R D T O T-H-E-C-O-R-E on Twitter. Um, you can find that link in the bottom of all my Star City Games articles. I'm M on Magic Online. And if you want to read the random things that float around in my brain that sometimes have to do with magic, um, you can find my personal blog at nerdtothecore.blogspot.com.
0: All right. And uh, you can... You can reach me on Magic Online. I'm Gabo Cheeto. You can also follow my Twitter feed. I'm at Gabo Cheeto, and you can reach our weblog at popperscage.blogspot.ca and we'll we usually have a summary of of the episodes that we put, and we have primers, and we have a lot of information there, and links to all of the things that uh, that we've said. Um, And you can send us an email, if you want, to popperscage at gmail.com. And uh, I think that's about it. Uh, Thank you very much, Alex, for joining us. Uh, This was definitely a, a great experience, and we've learned so much about Popper. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Dime, as well.
1: Yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next time. Hope you guys enjoyed. Please leave comments on this episode as well. Let us know what you think.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, Love is not here anymore. We shall miss him. Uh, Thank you, Love, for everything you did. And thank you, listeners. Till next time. Do you have anything else uh, to talk about yourself, Lo? Update?
2: No, I'm pretty. I, I could. I mean, I could mention that I'm going to study game design
0: from oh, wow. oh. university oh, cool.
2: this fall, and I'm starting to build my own search engine in Python, and I'm twiddling a little bit with C sharp. That's pretty much it.
0: Okay. Oh wow! You, you should. Uh, you should, as a side project, uh, generate a, a simple project program that. Um, parses a web page for numbers and puts them in an Excel file and then generates a graph.
2: I have oh, a graph. Well,
0: just puts them in a, an Excel file would do, and then I can use that to keep track of prices without spending 10 minutes every week.
2: Yeah, I was actually considering doing that for practice.
0: Yeah. Well, if you do, please keep
2: me informed. I love this deck. Oh, I want to build it. Uh, it's a, it uses Second Sunrise. Do you know what that does?
0: It mm, sounds familiar. I can't remember.
2: Second Sunrise is a rare from Mirrodin, costs one colorless, two white mana, and it's an instant, and it says each player returns to all, to, returns to play all artifact, creature, enchantment, and land cards that were put into his or her graveyard this turn. Okay. You use this together with Lotus Bloom, Chromatic Stars and Chromatic Spheres, Ghost Quarter, and other such things to gain mana and cards. And okay. then you kill them with a fireball.
0: Wow. It's,
2: it's a slow deck. Uh, it, it takes time to learn and it takes especially time to play proficiently so you don't time out on MTGO. <laughs> but it's, it's really, really fun and I love it.
0: Yeah, cool. So you've you've been trying that out. You've been trying that deck out.
2: Watching a streamer, actually. Oh, because okay. I am really, really poor right now, so I can't afford like anything. Uh, but I'm tempted to buy it. The reason it's good right now is because it, it, in M thirteen they got a new rare which does the same thing, but it costs three colors and one white. So they basically got Second Sunrise five to eight if they so desire.
0: Okay. Yeah.
2: So the deck, I, 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 don't know how the meta is, but I saw several of the, those decks, the second sunrise decks in the top, I think it was at top 16 of the latest
0: modern grand prix. Well, cool. Well, you should uh, grind, grind popper a bit, and then, uh, then you can make <laughs> enough money and uh, buy your modern deck. I mean, that you can grind that. Captain, actually, but
2: I <laughs> uh, can't grind popper right now because they pay out in M12. <laughs>
0: well, M- M13 is out, uh, it's that pre-release stage, but,
2: oh, yeah, well, it is out. 13.
0: At at the time of of uh, public publishing this podcast, it will be out by by a long time, and so I'm pretty sure by then you'll you'll have built your modern deck and you'll be you know swimming in tickets.
2: I'll be. I'll keep you updated. I was an eight six eight six screen shared a daily event with me. Mm-hmm. And he faced uh, Familiar Storm with, and he was playing the Red Storm. Mm-hmm. And he stormed off, mm-hmm. and his, his opponent had triple Echoing Decay. Wow. And a snap, so he could cast all three Echoing Decays. And 8686 lost all of his goblins, and the Familiar Storm guy wrote GG in the chat. That, that is
0: unacceptable.
2: And 8686 didn't concede and proceeded to win the game. Wow. And then when he won the game, he wrote GG in the chat. Okay. And then we saw a lot of filtered, a lot of empty columns where he probably just wrote, swore at us, and then he quit. (laughs) But that's what I wanted to talk about. Um, Not giving up when things seem hopeless. And um, also about manners and how you should behave and maybe not behave when you play proper. And magic in general.
0: Uh, do you find it um, disrespectful if you you use um, grape shot? Yeah, only. So if you cast the first grape shot, and you know they they let you resolve, them and you go through all the clicks, and then you cast the second grape shot, and they don't immediately give up. Uh, you, do you expect them to concede at that point, or, or are you okay if if they just you know let you finish it off?
2: I don't care either way as long as they don't go AFK in a rage quit. i oh. fine either way. And I would certainly not concede when the first grape shot hits a stack because it's like 95% of the times the first grape shot is not lethal. Yeah. So you need to see them play the other one.
0: I I remember having someone get upset because I didn't immediately concede after they cast the second grape shot.
2: Ignore that person.
0: Okay. And
2: and most of the time when you place face decks like um Wonderblue control or goblins or people who don't like pre-board or something and they don't have an answer. They'll just F6. And then you have to finish it because they're maybe not even looking at the game yeah. because they have just passed priority for the entire turn. So you just go through the motions and win. Yeah. So I don't mind that at all. It's no problem. I'd like to add that the only, only reason that I can, it's in, it's in live magic and I play uh, the perfect storm in legacy. And if I sit there, and I my opponent will kill me next turn, and I sit there, like, going off will take, like, three or four minutes, and it will give me more of a headache, because playing Storm for, like, eight rounds gives me a headache. And I say, show me the Force of Will. If you have the Force of Will, I'll just scoop. And in that situation, I can, like, just give up as the combo player if he has the Force of Will. Hmm. Uh, but I would never, ever expect anyone to concede to me as a combo player because it looks like I'm going to win. That's just no. Okay. Good to know. Actually, I have one thing to add. Mike Long was sitting against Lethal Damage. If he passed a turn, he would lose. He was playing a combo deck. I have, I don't even remember what deck it was. I remember the deck, but I don't remember the card. But the card, one of like Life Drain or Essence Drain or something like that where you pay. Yeah,
1: it's Drain Life.
2: Yeah, Drain Life. And he, he has a way to uh, get infinite mana. But to win, he had to discard his only Life Drain in the entire deck. The deck draws his entire deck and gets infinite mana. And he had to discard the only life drain in his deck to win. So he discards his only life drain, starts comboing off, and then he says to his opponent, Do I really have to go through all the motions? And his opponent is like, No, and concedes. When Mike Long in reality had no way to win that game whatsoever. Because uh, he has discarded his only kill spot.
0: Yeah, I remember hearing about this I think in, in another podcast. But yeah, yeah it's the popular don't, story. Don't let that happen to you. And after I edit this, you're gonna sound like a super genius. Like a grinder. Like uh, why don't
1: you ever do that to me,
0: stupid couple? What? You hey. even never
2: make me sound like a genius. What?
0: What do you think? What, why do you think our, our episode uh, five is so popular? Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. true. That's true. Blue that's all thanks post. to you. That's, that's uh, that was all you. Yeah. Our super genius uh, uh, storm expert. Oh yeah. Uh, the goblins was was okay, but you know, I was just getting I was just you know getting my feet yeah, we, wet. Yeah, we both were kind of awkward. Yeah. We have our our expertise areas, you know, like Dime, Dime is the brewer, and he's also an expert in white weenie and, and white weenie in general, and um, uh, love is the grinder, and he knows, you know, certain nasty decks like Storm, Post, stuff like that.
2: <laughs> the curse words of Pumper. yeah. Yes,
0: I'll probably have to bleep those out. Uh, and I'm the host. I edit the podcast. That's all I do. I don't know it's anything. So that, that leaves me as the... You're
1: the uh, financial guy, too. Uh, I'm yeah. the financial guy, I guess, yeah.
2: but And okay. I'd also like to mention that if Gabba wasn't here, this podcast would fall apart in a second. Maybe. Because he reminds us all the time when the podcast is due. Like, I forget all the time when we're supposed to do a podcast. That's so true. he sends us, like, two to three emails reminding us, and I was like, oh,
1: yeah, right, i was <laughs> going to
0: do that. Yeah, that's, that's why I sent, like, five emails uh, for each podcast. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Episode 9 of Popper's Cage. I'm one of your hosts, Gabo. Uh, with me today, we've got Dime Collector. Hey, Dime.
1: Hey, how are you doing?
0: <laughs> I'm still doing pretty well. Uh, we Once again, we don't have Love. Um, we don't know where he's gone. He's missing. He's, he's doing something, something crazy, uh, probably.
2: Hello. Hey! It's loud! <laughs> oh my hair slum
0: a... <laughs> I'm sorry, was that too loud? <gasps>
1: I'll, I'll speak. There we go. oh, Here. I'll works. speak a little quieter if it makes you feel Whoa. better. <laughs> I'll just
2: I'll just there. Reduce my volume. <laughs>
0: Uh, I, I, am hearing you pretty well. I don't think, uh.
2: That's yeah, pretty good. See yeah, I, 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 got, I got a, I got a laptop from someone in the house.
0: Nice. It's better than yeah, my. not give it back. <laughs> you should just keep it. It's Fair a, enough. It seems <laughs> to be better than my laptop. I was getting a, like, really horrible, um, uh, reception on my
1: laptop. Oh, it's, uh, it's, when... it's, it's a MacBook. Shh. Silence. I'm in the middle. And, of a, you know, job, yeah. we made Kyle wait like two hours to finally get to talk. Yep. <laughs> and now yep. that he does, like <laughs> Luva just jumps in and <laughs> completely screws it up for like half an hour. Oh, you
2: guys man. nag at me for like twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you only got yourself to blame.
0: I, I suppose. But we're gonna have to uh re-record the introduction. Because in the introduction we said, Well Lo's not here. He's a he's a he didn't want. He doesn't want to be with us. He doesn't love us anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna to have to kind of change that a little well, bit.
2: Why not just uh, do an, another introduction for the ninth episode? Uh,
0: yeah. Exactly. That's that's right. We're gonna do another introduction for the ninth episode. Let me just get my notes. Let's do another introduction for the ninth episode. That's a great idea. Thank yeah. you. Yeah.
1: Well, we should do another introduction. For hey, Dime, I'm gonna I'm gonna go along
0: with that idea I just had all right so you guys ready i hear a lot of noise there it's like people shuffling we're stuff. all very excited we're gonna go right into the next part and the part where people throw chairs over
1: <laughs> yeah
0: i'm done sorry <laughs> he's out
2: <laughs> all right I'll leave. what what no what you ready yeah
1: all right <laughs> okay so is everyone ready no Brother. i mean yes <laughs> oh my god wait what's the question
2: <laughs> no.
1: Yes. Wait. Maybe. What was the question? All right. So. <laughs> Blue. No green. <laughs>
0: I,
2: I'm just, I'm just going to
1: publish this without
0: editing now. All right. So, um, we wanted to start talking about some of the threats in a So, the beatdown
2: options that I chose for my deck, in addition to your fog, my and Forger, I have Carapace
0: Forger, which. Um, can I just stop you guys for a second um, I'm not sure who I'm going to blame But somebody is typing
2: Alright I think that's It's raining outside my window <laughs>
0: Okay oh, That's what it is it. Wow you're, 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 uh, your mic is pretty good <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, we can, I, I'll just try Did it go away?
0: Yeah it's gone now yeah. I I thought, I, thought, I thought Dime was like sending messages To some girl or something no
1: comment.
2: <laughs> hey, I love the kitchen. You're I in love the kitchen making food. You're in the kitchen now. I'm, I I uh, was in the kitchen from the start. That's the problem. Oh, okay. <laughs> I to My room and my roomie is being all grumpy. So I can't be in hers. So I have to be in the kitchen. Oh man. Uh, there I have. We have the rain in the background. Did oh. you see I think you that in-
1: yeah, I think it's stopping. Ish.
0: Okay, it's it's better now.
1: Can try to lower this me a little, is, I gotta say Kyle you're you're in for a treat. this is hands down the best recording we we've ever done <laughs> in the show.
0: I'm having fun so far that's uh, good good to know good good glad to know i I don't know how I'm gonna get all these things in into the podcast without uh, kind of <laughs> switching real yeah <laughs> uh,
1: could I, I'll
2: see if I lower my mic and see if it goes
1: away fine. I, I have, I'll just admit I was actually typing at that point in time, but I don't think I was doing it loud enough for anybody to hear. It's like, for instance, right now I'm hitting a key on my keyboard, but
2: yeah, I can't, I can't hear, anything. hear anything. Let's see, calls. I can hear something. Audio and <laughs> was that you, Kyle? That was you. Yeah, that was oh. Kyle. Oh, I was ungraceful. Damn, ugly. Let's see. Um... <laughs> hey, Kyle. No, do not automatically. <laughs> I do not want to.
0: The hell. When you just typed all those letters, Kyle, that made yeah. like a huge, like a big, resounding <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I was having my keyboard. It's probably broke. All
2: right. If I take, do not automatically automatically adjust the microphone settings, but I can't. Def- oh,
0: that's going in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just the swear words. <laughs> yeah. that
0: I'm that'll be the, the intro. it will be like, what the? Ding, 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 ding.
2: You edit it into like a more appropriate point in time, like you talk that I, don't
1: think, it's, when, I it's when special. Kyle says he doesn't play Oriax Sun Chaser. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'll, 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 I'll just I'll just add it in every time anyone says something you know that could offend Lou. <laughs>
2: yeah. I I can't lower my uh, mic. It seems
0: you're out. <laughs> what the? <heck? laughs> uh, okay, don't don't don't, don't worry, Lou. We will.
2: We'll do. I think. I think you sound fine. It's raining a little bit. you think it's going to annoy the listeners? Mm, not too much. Not too much. It might annoy them that, that Kyle I is. I'm picky, but that's such a thing that could make me turn off the podcast. Oh dear. Uh, well, it, it doesn't
0: sound that bad. We'll see. It might annoy it. Dime. It might annoy them more that
1: Kyle is shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can you hear that? Somehow the can. <laughs> What are you doing there? <laughs> <laughs> I don't work for people.
2: Well, Gabo is a uh, software engineer, so he can hack you.
0: Uh, uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's, let's continue with the cast. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, my guy was having to lose power.